Zero Foxtrot does not profess to share or promote the opinions and beliefs expressed by show host or guests. The Stay Zero podcast was created to provide a platform for servicemen and women to share their stories. Due to the nature of this podcast, sensitive topics will arise. Conversations about combat, PTSD, drug use, and other such subjects will occur. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome back to the Stay Zero podcast. I have Ron in here with me today. No last names this time. No last names. <laughs> and you're a friend of Bernardo, who who have also talked with, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bernardo is a, is a good friend of mine. I've known him for probably four years, five years, something like that. And then I brought him over to um, work for me here in the states. Nice. And and you've got a, a like a Krav Maga type of fitness martial arts gym here in Austin? So I would say we do mostly firearms training. Oh, all right. Uh, now, we started kind of mostly doing very private, exclusive self-defense, Krav Maga, martial arts training to people and fitness. Yeah. And just because of my background, pretty much it just shifted very heavily towards the firearms and tactical side. And that's most of our business nowadays. We still mix in some of the Krav Maga, some of the hand-to-hand stuff, some Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu even, just nice. whatever works we use. Nice. Uh, and so you you answered the call here recently because it's it's an Israeli kind of founded or a foundation of Israeli tactics, right? And you served in the Israeli army. Mm-hmm. I still right? do. You still do, yeah. yeah. And and so I mean, the elephant in the room, October sixth. Yeah. You got the call. What was that call like? What did they tell you? And and what was that experience like? You you answered. You went. You just got back, right? Yeah, yeah, about a month ago. Yeah. Okay, so walk me through that. So October 6th, I'm in Austin. We had a heli gunnery course. Um, I wake up on the 7th and my phone, and I usually wake up pretty early, especially if I'm teaching that weekend, I'll I'll be waking up at 5, 4.30. And I wake up and my phone is blowing up Mm. from WhatsApps from from Israel, which I'm like, okay, something's going on. And I open the the group and I just start seeing everything. Now it's an eight hour difference. So it's been, you know, if it's, five in the morning here, it's it's already one one or three o'clock, whatever it is, it's just yeah. way ahead. So the things have been playing out already. Uh, pretty much the entire reserve of the IDF was called up. Like 300,000 soldiers got called up wow. that morning. Some of them didn't even get called up. They just heard the news and they just started driving south uh, with their personal handguns. Like that's all they had. Um, some units, uh, that were already staged and ready because there were active duty units. They already went down there. Um, my unit kind of got called up and until they got all their gear and stuff, they were already um, in some of the settlements uh, outside of outside of the towns, uh, outside of Gaza, already securing them, searching for terrorists, stuff like that. Now with, with everything, right, it's there's always what the news is showing. Mm-hmm. there's the reality of things, right? So I, I was like, okay, well, I need to figure out what's going on, get an idea of what my unit is doing. Cause if they're just, you know, sent off to some like back duty deal, I'm not gonna come. Cause this is, you know, I got a business to run, I got a family, but if we're actually gonna be doing stuff, okay, I'm, I'm coming. And after a day or two, I kind of figured out what they're doing, got a hold of some people, um, settled things down here so I can leave, right? I can't just like, just abandon my business, right? Because uh, then I'm gonna have nothing to come back to. Uh, so made sure things were handled here, 
What was their expectation of you? Did they expect you like, hey, drop no, I everything? Volunteer. Oh, okay. I've, I, so I don't live in Israel. I, I haven't lived in right. Israel basically since after my active duty, uh, my conscript service, so to speak. So uh, I volunteer. I've been volunteering basically since I left. I enjoy it. Um, keeps me connected. Keeps me in touch with my friends there. Uh, and I mean, that's what I like to do. Yeah. <laughs> I like to do military stuff. I like guns. You know, that's what I do for a living. Um, but I mean, they were very happy I showed up because of my background, because of what I do. Because most of the guys, you know, in my reserve unit, they were in active duty for a while, but then they left, and that's that's not their thing anymore. Sure. So they're not up to speed on on tactics. They're not up to speed on guns. They're not up to speed on gear. So me being there was definitely a big help to them in terms of getting them squared away, helping them find the right gear, helping them getting set up, getting them trained, uh, even just some med stuff that I know from from here, from just learning in the states, just a little more up to date than what they learned, you know, three, four, 10 years ago when they were in active duty. Yeah. What were you, so you, a couple of days went by, you made the decision, I got to go out there. Yeah. You kind of lined everything up. What were you hearing after a couple of days? What were the rumors? What were you expecting when you got on ground? Um, well, it wasn't rumors. I mean, there was, there was straight up video from the terrorist side of what sure, they did. Sure. It, it, was, it wasn't like things to be debated. I didn't know if you maybe had some personal- you know, I expected a lot like, of carnage. Friends calling you and telling you what uh, they had so seen. So one guy from, from my active duty was in one of those towns in one of their QRF team and he got killed. Really? Uh, I mean, there's not a single person in Israel that doesn't know someone that was killed yeah. during October 7th. Not a single person. Like, you talk to anyone, they usually know multiple people, not just a single person. Um, How many people were killed that day? So it was, I believe, around 1,200 people. Um, I think 400 of which were soldiers. They were just had their fobs overrun, their bases overrun. Most of those soldiers were not combat soldiers. It was like, you know, uh, secretaries, people that were watching cameras, things like that. They're not, as far as I'm concerned, they're pretty much civilians. Sure. They're wearing a uniform, but they're not, they're not fighting soldiers. Um, and then 800 civilians. Uh, you know, and thousands of people injured, thousands, thousands of people injured. I mean, just at that one uh, rave that was there, I think 250 people got killed. How do you think that was pulled off? Uh, one massive intelligence failure. Um, I've, I've said it for a long time, just kind of between me and my friends and you know, my circle that we are not far enough aggressive and we rely too much on technology because you can have all the technology in the world if you still need that person there, right? Sure. Uh, because that will fail. And I think at least the, on the government side, they were thinking that, oh, we have this fence and we have these cameras and we have these sensors and we're gonna be good. Um, and they were trying to stick to the status quo. Okay, we'll quell it down. It'll be a little bit of rockets, but we'll quell it down. We don't wanna go into a war. So they don't wanna commit soldiers in Israel. Uh, I would say a lot more than here. Uh, when a soldier is killed, it's very felt because again, it's such a small place. There's a good chance that a lot of people know that guy or know their family or know their friend. Um, it's not like here where, you know, you heard uh, a couple soldiers got killed in Syria or in Jordan a couple of days ago. I have no idea who they are. Sure. And I probably don't know anybody that knows who they, who they are. Uh, but in Israel you do. So it's it's very personal. Felt. And also it's it's conscript service. So people have, they're, they're forced to serve. They're forced to do reserve duty until they're 45. So, it's it's a big decision to commit that soldiers and I think 200 soldiers already have been killed since the start of combat operations in addition to that. Oh, so since October, that's, yeah. okay. Yeah, so in addition to that, right? Uh, so massive intelligence failure, um, 
too much of the status quo, too much of kicking the can down the road. I mean, when I was stationed around Gaza in 2012, I was like, what the fuck are we doing here? Really? Like, why are we letting these people shoot rockets at us, mortars, and come close to the fence? Like, it should be shoot, you know, do you get close to the fence, we're gonna shoot you. Yeah. And that's it, and that's, um, so. So it was more of an active combat zone for you then. Does it feel that way? Or uh, then it wasn't. No, it wasn't a combat zone. It was more security operations. It was okay. co like containment, basically. Um, and in 2012, there was an aerial operation. No, that's what during my my active duty, um, they were going to commit troops. But I think Hillary Clinton came in as Secretary of State and kind of brokered some type of peace deal. Mm. Uh, again, they broke the ceasefire in 2014. Uh, we discovered there's a whole bunch of tunnels. Uh, so there was an operation. People thought it was a big operation. In reality, it was a very, very small scale operation. They were like just in the outskirts of the cities when they went in. And it was basically to take out all the tunnels that were there. Uh, and again, status quo, they're like, okay, well, we did it. It's good enough. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll deal with it. There's been a couple cycles of rocket fire, things like that, uh, especially I think 2019, 2020. Well, tell me about these tunnels. Are these going under the fences or under the borders from a house in Palestine or, or yeah, so, Gaza to a house in yeah, Israel? Yeah, so there's, there's three types of tunnels. There is um, logistics tunnels, there's um, attack tunnels, and then there is defensive tunnels. Okay. Um, so the attack tunnels, or you could say they're, I'd be the word for it, uh, it's to help them get closer to the fence. I don't believe there's any tunnels that were found to cross into Israel because of the, because the border fence also goes down quite a bit of distance. Mm. Into uh, the ground? Yeah, but there's tunnels that are literally at the fence. So like we secured an operation, this was published in the news, um, where they found a tunnel where you can fit a vehicle through um, wow. that exited 300 meters from one of the border crossings. Mm. Uh, so that was, that was a tunnel that we were secure. Like I, I saw that tunnel. Wow. Um, it's a big tunnel. Yeah. And it, it runs for about uh, two miles, I think. And what's the purpose of doing it in a tunnel? Why couldn't they just drive a vehicle? Because we'd see them and, and shoot them. Okay. Yeah. And so this is to just get a closer position yeah, yeah. to die in the last 300 meters, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Um, then you have tunnels that go in between homes. Uh, and we found quite a bit of those as well. I mean, in, in the... Is it against the law to dig a tunnel? I mean, it's it's their, it's if, their if, land. So we pulled out of Gaza in 20... Right, if it's all within Gaza, are you like, what are all these tunnel digging people yeah. like? Uh, there's no there's no law against digging tunnels. Right. But imagine, instead of spending all those resources... Certainly creating nefarious, right? Yeah. Uh, they could have spent all those resources in making a subway system. I don't know. Like literally anything else. I mean, we left Gaza. We left Gaza in 20, 2005. Yeah. Like we don't want this anymore. You can have it. Do with it what you will. What do they do? They elect a terrorist organization to run it. Uh, and then the terrorist organization in 2006 kidnaps a soldier, Gilad Shalit, for five years. Mm. There's a idiotic deal that the government does to release a thousand terrorists, including the current leader of Hamas, uh, Inez Sinwar, um, for this one soldier. Mm. Um, Sounds kind of like our Bergdahl situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, should have they, they've done everything to release them? Yeah, but releasing a thousand people for one, that's insane to me. Um, it certainly seems like it would incentivize them to do it. And exactly, again, and that right? created that precedent. Which is what it did. And that essentially set the stage for where we are today. Yeah. 
But yeah, so I got there. Um, we immediately, I think we we're one or two days in a kind of half of the company was in a training base. Half of the company was already doing security operations and kind of swapping back and forth to get people's, uh, just people trained up, zeroed. Like, you know, you're issued guns, like you gotta get zeroed. You gotta sure. prep your gear, you, you know, all the, all the fun stuff you have to do as a soldier. Uh, and then we immediately went to a kibbutz called Beri, which was probably the, the hardest hit uh, kibbutz. Sim kibbutz is like a agricultural co-op community, um, which by the way, they're like the most leftist, pro-peace, pro-people. They had people from Gaza working there. Mm. Um, and they had over 100 people murdered Wow! Uh, in that town. Um, Do they still have gun-free zone signs in their yards? <laughs> They're not that type of liberal. No, oh, okay, different kind of liberal. Different kind of liberal. Okay. Um, yeah, a lot of them were, were had handguns, things like that. Oh. Uh, but the army actually disarmed or reduced the amount of guns that they gave to the QRF teams in a lot of these areas. And the guns they had were like, shitty old M16s, you know, with the carry handle and stuff like that. So, I mean, there was no, it was not a comparable fight to like the 500 dudes trying to overrun your- Is there a, like a RPG. second amendment sort of a thing no, in Israel? No, no, it does not exist. So uh, in Israel, you can get a, per a carry permit uh, based on need. Hmm. So, which to me is idiotic because you can say, well, <laughs> they can tell you, well, you live in Tel Aviv, you, there's no need, but yeah. like, wh what if I travel outside of Tel Aviv, right? Right. What if I go to Jerusalem, what if, you know, right? Um, the need doesn't change. They've loosened like, it up a lot. Yeah. Uh, but it's still, you can only one, own one handgun. If you do competitive shooter shooting, you can own a handgun for competitive shooting, and then you can hold up to a thousand rounds instead of 200 rounds or 50 rounds or something like that. Uh, but it's very, very restricted. It's also like the cost of a handgun in Israel is like, I would say like a Glock costs double what it would cost here, like probably like a thousand plus dollars. Mm. Um, there's also not really a gun culture in Israel. It's not like a thing. Interesting. Yeah. I would have expected the opposite. You would think. Yeah, uh, right? But it's not. Like yeah. a people that have been persecuted for a millennium yeah. everywhere they go. And, and it goes to kind of a general mentality of the government will save us, which again, yeah. brings us to where we're at. Today. Yeah, that's not a good, good mindset to have yeah. there. So... <laughs> um, sorry, I have this cough today. Uh, so you got in country every, what was it like when you first arrived? We all were, you know, you get issued everything, you kind of get squared away. Yeah. Where did you first go? Or is it active combat at the time or is it still no, security so, operations? So it was all security operations because it, it was chaos. So really? the, the first October 7th, all these units that went down there were battling out with the terrorists. What day did you get on ground? Probably the 14th, so okay. about a week later. So one week. Um, basically they were hunting every single terrorist that was left. They were still, even a week after, they were still finding, um, uh, locating uh, terrorists that were hiding out, uh, terrorists that went into other Arab settlements or other areas and hiding out. Uh, so those were located and either killed or arrested. Um, what we were tasked with was essentially securing that settlement. And then there was a lot of, I mean, there was, I think there were 30 places in the fence that they went through. So there was a lot of security work to secure those specific areas so no one else is entering there. Uh, quickly after that, as the army, big army was ramping up the ground invasion, I mean, Air Force and artillery was shooting all day long. Like I, I thought I was gonna come here death. Like, like it was just nonstop Shooting artillery. where? Into Gaza, into terrorist targets in Gaza. Okay. Um, just softening up the ground before the, the the ground invasion. So it wasn't just kicking them out of Israel. Y'all went offensive into Gaza. 
after about three weeks, okay. the big army, but artillery was already fine at sure. that time. Artillery, air force, the fight that they're already targeting uh, all kinds of terrorist infrastructure, Hamas infrastructure. And what were y'all, what was your mission once going into Gaza? So we were in a division that was supposed to go in with all the active duty soldiers, the young guys. And at the last minute, they switched us out to a different division. Okay. Um, so we ended up kind of staying on the fence, doing security operations, prepping for their ground invasion. So one of the things that we're doing is going on the fence, directing fire, um, securing. So like the tanks are really good at things that are 100, 200 meters and out. They're not good when someone comes up and sets uh, an ID on them. Right. So for me as a sniper, we would just be essentially on overwatch on the tanks, clearing out probably kilometer by kilometer areas so the ground invasion can happen, make sure there's no IEDs there, clearing any high ground positions, things like that. Uh, and then once the ground invasion uh, went in, we again continued to do security operations because there still could be infiltrations. There's a lot of intel on potential infil infiltrations. Um, and there weren't any, thankfully, because we did our job, mm -hmm. uh, I would think. Um, and then about a month after the ground invasion, I think about a month, uh, maybe a little over a month, we were tasked with going in into Northern Gaza with securing all those digging operations to look for tunnels uh, and making sure we're destroying those tunnels. Um, and then after that, we went into one of the Northern towns of Gaza and basically s trying to find the last remaining dudes holed up in their rat tunnels. Um, clearing for weapons, clearing for IEDs. And this is just to understand the amount of um, preparation they did on their side. So we replaced a battalion that was there for a month and we still found every single day tunnels and IEDs. Mm. They've been doing some work. Yeah, I mean like every, I would say every other house had IEDs in there was booby trapped. Were they prepared to blow those homes or were they just like staged to be used somewhere? They were IEDs that were, they were intended to homes. be used. Yeah. So the, so some was just intended to be used somewhere else. Right, right. Uh, some, some weapons as well. Like my unit found like in the base of a crib, found AKs and mags. Nice. Okay. Um, we found homes that are booby trapped. So like you're going up the stairs and all of a sudden there's whole bunch of, you know, anti-personnel mines hanging over it and, you know, dead cord running out out from there. So we blew those houses up. Wow. Um, tunnels just everywhere, uh, either running from houses or uh, running from, uh, from roads where they would think tanks would pass so they can pop out and put IDs on those tanks, stuff like that. I remember in Iraq, like one of the biggest challenges we had was it's an insurgent war, yeah. right? They're not in uniforms. Yep. They're dressed like the locals. They are the locals, yeah. right? Like they, yeah, they're completely embedded into the local community and you're trying to identify them. Yeah. How did y'all do that? Um, so the, the areas, the way the IDF works, and again, to me, it's very dumb because we're essentially giving away position, but we are the most humane army in the world. I think in terms of like, the real ratio of uh, combatants to non-involved or collateral damage is, is very low. Hmm. Um, and that's because we let people know like, hey, we're about to be in this area, y'all need to get out. 
We did the same thing in yeah. Iraq. Yeah. I and, remember finding pamphlets on the ground, yeah. like warning yeah. them before we got there. Yeah. And to me, it's it's really dumb. Uh, so basically, anyone that stayed there is considered an enemy combatant. And I mean, th- there was no one there. So anyone that would pop up from a bunch of ruins with an AK and RPG, they're an enemy combatant. Yeah. Um, it's all good. That. <laughs> um, so that's, I mean, that was- Y'all didn't deal with like- maybe super poor people that can't move or can't read or can't. Um, I know, some, uh, like, I know some other units have dealt with that. Yeah. Uh, but again, they would, they would help evacuate them. They would help. Yeah. The ROE requires a weapon of some sort. Not yeah. Just a heartbeat. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent, a hundred percent. So we, we, we were definitely, uh, working on, on those rules. Yeah. You know, and yeah, it is what it is. Do you feel like, like y'all, still kind of humanize your enemy or do you what's the perceptive or the perception of palestinians from the israelis so if there was any humanization yeah um i think after october 7th there's very little of it left right uh, and that's just simply because of the amount of civilians that are involved in that the amount of terrorist infrastructure that we're finding just widespread in people's houses, uh, their white support for Hamas. Uh, it's not like, it's not that I don't see them as humans. It's just, you're complicit in murdering 1,200 of my fellow citizens, right? Like once they invaded in, uh, and we'll pull up some some images just so people understand like the inhumanity yeah. of these people. Um, a lot of civilians went in and started looting these towns, stealing air conditioners, computers, cell phones, um, all kinds of stuff. Um, so, a- as far as I'm concerned, yeah, are there innocent people there? For sure, yeah. for sure. But you're also dealing with with people that educate their young to hate. You know what what we're f- what the the IDF is finding inside of schools in terms of their education materials. Uh, what you're seeing as the cartoons that these children are watching, like hate the Jews, kill the Jews, like. Maybe they're human, but they don't see us as human and they want to murder all of us. So fuck them. Like that's as far as, let's pull up an image. Uh, there's an image, I think it's called Kfar Aza uh, with a bloody bed. So this is uh, in another settlement that was hit pretty hard. Um, it, it seemed like the enemy had a lot of intel about the QRF there, probably from the, Az- the Gazan citizens that would work there. They probably gathered some intel uh, because they ambushed that QRF as they went to respond. Like they knew where their armory was, they knew where their stuff was, and they ambushed them. So this is a child's bedroom in in Gaza. This is after the the f- probably October fifteenth, sixteenth in Gaza. Sorry, not in in Kfar Aza. This is this is a Jewish oh, okay. town outside of Gaza. Okay. Um, the way we say Gaza in Hebrew is Aza. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's called Gaza Village, uh, but it's actually a Jewish son. It's a kibbutz. Okay. So this is a child's bedroom. Okay. Um, this is one of the first houses right by their their fence. Um, this is a child's bedroom. So the blessings you're seeing there, that's of a child. Yeah. Um, and the smell is still very much there. there. There's a very clear smell of death. That's another picture of that room. Mm. Okay. There's another picture there of uh, IEDs that we found in that same house. Uh, just some IDs that we found just hang out there in the kitchen. Yeah, those look like pipe bombs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
And we're finding stuff like this everywhere. Our EOD guys found just, by the way, American uh, just blocks of, of explosives that are probably smuggled in from Afghanistan. or So like uh, RC4? Yeah, yeah. essentially. Uh, I mean, these guys were very organized. They had you know clear packing lists. These are the uh, youth quarters in, in Faraza. Um, they were, I mean, huge amounts of young people were murdered there. Uh, a lot of them were also kidnapped into Gaza. Uh, a lot of women were also uh, kidnapped and raped or raped and murdered uh, in those areas. So these are just- Yeah, this looks know. like a, a some sort of a room or building that's yeah, blown so this is out. Yeah, so so uh, kibbutzim they have for the young kids. Yeah. So they can move out of their parents' house. They'll have like youth quarters where they live kind of on their own, getting okay. them ready to be Like adult. a transition house. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. Uh, you know, this is just their laundry room, all shut up. Um, again, these are kids. These are not like- these are not soldiers. These are not um, policemen. These these are just kids. They're just murdered in their beds, uh, murdered in their rooms, murdered in their houses. And by the way, in the settlements, they're most supportive of Gaza, of the Palestinian people in Israeli society. These settlements that have yeah. been attacked were supportive yes. of the Palestinians. Yes, they're all for two-state solution. Like I said, there were people that had work permits from Gaza. They worked in these settlements. Um, so they provide a lot of money into Gaza, essentially, by, mm -hmm. by default, right? Um, and these people are just murdered. For why? Because they're Jewish. Do you feel like, the, like that's the only reason? Just, just a, a difference in religion? Why do you, because like these people have kids too. They grew up, they have families. But here, here lies the, the problem. Um, the way they raise their kids is to hate. Why do you think they do that? Because that's just what their culture teaches them, to hate the Jews, hate the Israelis. The Israelis are the, are the cause of your problems. Whereas we've tried to make peace with them, I think five times, try to have actual peace agreement, two-state solutions. Every single time that was breached and ended up biting us in the butt. Mm. Um, the Oslo Accords. Israel provided the Palestinian Authority with firearms so they can have their own police force, all that fun stuff. What happens? Those firearms were used in terrorist attacks against Israelis. Um, as things go right now, until they want to have real peace and not, hate. I mean, it's in the charter of Hamas to destroy Israel. Right, so you you don't have anyone to talk to. There's no, it's not a real peace. It's like what we had until now. It was the status quo. Let's sure let's keep things down for a little bit, and then they'll build up the terrorist infrastructure. They'll shoot. They'll try to murder us, and then we have to go quell that. Um, so there's until you have in order to negotiate, both sides need to want to negotiate, right? Sure. And when you have no one to negotiate with, when you have people that are, I mean, they found like Mein Kampf in people's bedrooms. Hmm. You know, like th these people don't want to have peace with you. They, they wanna murder you, as we saw. I mean, the, like 1,200 people murdered in one day. That's children, okay? It's unimaginable, it, like, right? It's <clears throat> And you can go to Israel right now and they'll give you a tour of these places. You can see them firsthand because even with the terrorists filming it, people are still denying that it happened. Like this is how crazy it is. There's so much propaganda around. It's like, it's hard to know what to believe yep. or what to, to think about it. And then there's this contrarian, movement where you know one side just has to argue with the other right yeah. like if if the republicans go one way it's like the democrats 
by sheer necessity yeah. have to disagree, right? Yeah. Yeah, At yeah. no point could we possibly see the yeah. same on any one yeah. topic. Yeah, but I think, you know, if there was any chance of a peace agreement or any chance of a two-state solution, Hamas just burned that down the drain probably for the next 20 years. I'm going to be honest. Like, I'm not a politician. I don't sure. deal with that stuff on my day-to-day, but in terms of the the feeling in Israel, people are like, we need to clean this place out. Like, yeah. we, we're not pulling out of Gaza until there's no not a single terrorist left in there. What do you think about the conspiracy that Netanyahu like manufactured this whole thing to fire everybody up for that purpose to get Israelis fired up? Because, I mean, if history is any tell, this dispute isn't isn't seemed to like it's going to end in in a peaceful way, right? Like it's, um, I mean, I somebody's think somebody's going to have to smash somebody. I think it would when again the other side wants to have peace. Yeah, that's the problem. We've we've tried. So how do you make Hamas desire peace? Um, I don't think they're going to desire peace. I'm straight <laughs> up with you. Um, I think Golda Meir, so one of the prime ministers of Israel, she was a prime minister of Israel during uh, the Yom Kippur War, which was very analogous to what just happened. It was a lot of- What year was that? 72. Okay. 72 Are you pretty spun up on the history? Pretty good. I would not call myself like an expert on it. Like I would need to read up on a few things to, sure. to be super like, but she said it very well. And she said, we will have peace when the Arabs will love their children more than they hate our children. Mm. Or that they hate us. I don't remember the exact quote. I don't want sure. to watch no, it. Sure. Yeah, the love of your own kids more than um, eight hours. Yeah, I get it. You know, and, and to, I'm a business guy too, right? I run a business. To me, it's like, this is just dumb. Like, there could be so much business being done. There could be so much of a better economy uh, between the two sides. Uh, you know, there, there's already start to that with the Abraham Accords. They're happening between, you know, Bahrain and the UAE and... Saudi Arabia, hopefully soon. So that it would have been- That was what Trump did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and those were signed, right? Yeah, those were signed deals. What's yeah. going on with that now? They're still signed. Uh, Saudi Arabia <laughs> is still, uh, okay. I think they're still planning on, on signing a peace deal. Um, so the economic opportunity is huge. Uh, but I think in the end, it, it all runs down to money. Mm -hmm. um, the leaders of Hamas are billionaires. Mm. So it's in their best interest to keep this conflict going because they're funded by Iran, they're funded by Qatar. They're like, why end this? Like my money's gonna go away. It's I'm a, living nicely. It's any career activist. Right. If they fix the problem, they lose their exactly. career. Exactly. Yeah. So I think at the root of it, that's the issue. Uh, if they had leaders that truly cared, mm -hmm. that weren't in it for the money, um, we would have had a peace a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, but they don't care because they're billionaires. They're millionaires. You know, uh, I think half of Hamas's leadership lives in Qatar in a no five star doubt. hotel. No doubt. So, you know, what's their incentive to have peace? There's no incentive for them. They're not putting they're their not life there, at risk. Right. They're not putting their, their children at, at risk. Same um, as our politicians, right? Yeah. I mean, it's profitable to go to war. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And they're not sending their kids. So I think at the root of it, um, that's the issue. I think on the side of, um, do I think that BB orchestrated this? I'm doubtful. I think what you have is essentially 
too big of a bureaucratic system. Kind of like what we had here because uh, when 9-11 happened where people were not talking to each other and communicating properly. And it's too much noise for efficiency. Exactly. And I think that that was the the real rivet. Also, I think they took advantage of the political situation that was happening in Israel. There was a lot of protests. People do not like Bibi. Um, I personally am not a big fan of him. Uh, I think he cares about Bibi and that's about it. And he'll do anything to be in power. Um, that's why I think extent. a lot of people feel like there's yeah. something almost intentional because like the failures on October 7th seem almost orchestrated. Like how did all of that occur? How were they able to pull that off yeah. with and, so and, much security typically and, and, and look, there? I, I, think, I think the truth is going to come out in the next couple months to a year, there's already all kinds of inquiries and investigations going into it. Do you feel uh, like there is a hidden truth to come out about it? I mean, I, I just don't think it's a big, big conspiracy. I think it's just knowing Israel, knowing how things in Israel work, yeah. is just the inefficiencies of the government and all the agencies. Just that got caught with your pants that. down or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's all it is. Mm. Um, well, I, I mean, that's, that's better than your president plotting against you, right? Like, yeah. I would prefer it to be just yeah. a gross negligence yeah. than yeah, an yeah. actual malevolent. I mean, you know, 50% of this town is just gone, like wow. destroyed, burned to the ground. Uh, part of it had to be done because, you know, the tanks came in, the the, the special force came in and there's terrorists hiding out in, in houses. They're like, fuck them, shoot, uh, shoot the cannon into there. Uh, shoot a shell into there and just kill everyone uh, that's a terrorist in that house. What are your thoughts? So like the melee massacre in Vietnam occurred by a platoon of very frustrated guys that couldn't find their enemy. Mm -hmm. And the assumption was almost parallel to how you feel about the Palestinians finding Mm -hmm. tunnels in their homes and bombs. And like these people are complicit. Mm-hmm. You may not have shot at me, but you are complicit. So fuck you. And then they <laughs> did this this massacre. Do you feel like there's any level where like the Palestinians, they may be innocent, caught in the middle between mm-hmm. Hamas threatening to kill them and Israel threatening mm-hmm. to kill them? Like how as a civilian can you navigate that? Um, so that's what you were saying. Like it, I get it. Maybe they I didn't want tunnels I, in their home. Like they, what what choice yeah, 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 does a civilian yeah. have? They don't have a lot of choice other than default. But unfortunately, it, it's like you know, it's like the laws here, right? If you go to rob a bank, mm-hmm. right, and I shoot you, and as a result of that, someone else is killed, it's still your fault that that person is killed. Right, so the IDF's and Israel's responsibility to defend its citizens—it's not our problem that Hamas uses civilians as human shields. And I saw that firsthand in 2012. Not, not really, just now. Yeah, and you're seeing all the dudes, all the adults in the back, and you have a bunch of children and women in the front. Yeah, right. Um, it, it, it's a crazy it is, way to fight put a war, way. right? The blood is on their hands for putting their civilian populace in the way. In the way. Um, but I could tell you from the IDF side, we're do, we're going above and beyond of not killing civilians. Like it's war; civilians are going to get killed. Yeah. But there's absolutely zero targeting 
specific to civilians. All the targeting of the IDF, of the IAF, of the Israeli Air Force, uh, it is 100% to terrorist targets. Unfortunately, sometimes they use people as human shields and they get killed as part of it. But the blood is on Hamas's hands, not on our hands. And to, to expect the IDF to just, oh, well, they have civilians spread out, so we're just not gonna defend ourselves and uh, let 1,200 people uh, get killed in vain, like that's not gonna happen. I, I wouldn't expect the US to do that. I wouldn't expect any Western country to do that. I wouldn't expect anybody to do that. Yeah, I wouldn't do that either. Yeah. So I think that's, that's a, a crazy standard that Israel is constantly held to about civilian casualties. And also, <laughs> you know, there's these crazy reports of civilian casualties, but who are they reported by? Hamas, right? right, And nor have I ever heard in that report a single report of how many of their terrorists were killed. Right? Well, that doesn't benefit them. Yeah. Like the purpose, I think, of using civilians is for a win-win scenario, right? Like you, you attack me, okay, if, if you kill these civilians, I, I get to put it up. Yeah. and make you look bad it's yeah. horrible pr exactly iraqis and afghans did it to to us over there yeah 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 um it's exactly it's exactly that but unfortunately you also have a population that's very supportive and very complicit as well yeah. like i said in terms of the education system i mean you got u.n workers they're gazans they were part of the massacre hmm. okay they were also hamas operatives okay you have u.n warehouses that were used as Weapons warehouses and hideouts for terrorists that we're constantly finding out there. So, you know, at, at this point. So what stops Israel from just door to door, we're done with it? Because they're trying to reduce civilian casualties, right? Because we don't want to kill every single person in that, right? you know, this, this crazy like accusation of genocide. Like no one's trying to commit genocide. Like we just don't want to have assholes living next to us. Yeah. Like that's, and think about the rally. If you lived in Austin and every couple of years for a couple of months, you have to run to bomb shelters several times a day because there's rockets being flown, at, being targeted at you. Yeah, how long until you get sick of that? Right? Yeah. So that was the reality in Israel since 2005. So almost 20 years. Yeah. I was, I was just thinking that, about yeah. that. I was, cause I'm, I was like, anytime I hear sirens, it kind of switches me out. Like, oh sure, shit, sure. right? Um, and I was thinking about like, I don't think American society could, could handle that. Yeah, no, I think Americans have a very inflated idea of how compassionate that they are and tolerant that yeah. they are. It's because they're not exposed to it. Yeah. Like you're not in the situation. Yeah. If you were, I think we're all probably four days of not eating away from killing somebody. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, 100%. It's, it's not, and that's why like I, I really... <clears throat> I want to understand it and and not chalk it up to they just don't like my religion. I yeah. feel like there's got to be more to it than that. And and in studying the history of it, there's some history there that's that's tough, right? There's uh, Zion Zionist terrorists from the 40s, sure, right? The Haganah and the uh, whatever that mm. there's a couple of them, and yeah, blew up the King David Hotel in Jerusalem. I, I don't know about that yep. specifically. I know that more or less the strategy with a lot of that was one, drive the British out. Yeah. Right. Get to, so that they could own the land themselves. Mm -hmm. Cause Britain really was, was who 
catered the way for Jerusalem or for, for Israel to become a yep. place, right? They opened those doors and they sold it to the Palestinians and then it, it just kind of escalated. And then, you know, we have Zionist terrorists, we have Palestinian terrorists. Yeah. And if you go back. So here, here's the thing, had. Had, right. Okay. Yes. And that's a fair yeah. assessment, right? That was the history. Yes. And so how do we bury the hatchet between... Uh-huh. You know, wars that had been going before your time. Like, yeah. you weren't alive. Mm-hmm. I wasn't alive. Nobody in Palestine was alive when that mm-hmm. happened. Well, maybe the 40s, but like, yeah. you know what I mean? It's not the Balfour Agreement, like yeah. all of those things that are declaration, Balfour Declaration. But see, here, here, here's the problem, though. Israel has tried yeah. time and time and time again, given land back. I mean, the Gaza Strip was part of Israel. Yeah. Uh, there was Israelis. They were forcibly removed from there people were forcibly removed to israel uh from from that area uh jews into, right jews yeah yeah in uh, order to give them that section back. yeah in order to give them that section back um the sinai peninsula was given back to the egyptians for peace okay the, for the peace agreement that they had with anwar sadat i think it was in the 80s um we did it here in mexico <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we sure. went all the way down to Mexico City and they yeah. gave it all back to the Rio Grande. Sure. Um, so Israel has made crazy, crazy, crazy concessions over the years. Is everything perfect? No. But in the end, Israelis are not educating their children to hate Arabs or hate Muslims. In fact, um, about 20% of the population in Israel is Arab and Muslim. Mm-hmm. Um, and they probably enjoy the most freedom out of any Arab in any Middle Eastern country in the world, uh, or in the Middle East, I should say, uh, in Arab, in any any Muslim country. Yeah. Um, they have all the rights. They serve in their Supreme Court. They serve in our in our Parliament in our Knesset. Um, so Israel has most certainly tried. Yeah. I think at this point, most of the population in Israel is like, we don't want to try anymore. We, well, there's only so much yeah. that you know anyone's going to take yeah. of extending the olive branch, and 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 so is from the Israeli perspective, you guys feel like yes, our history is fucked. Yeah. There's been some bad shit, yeah. but we're we're trying to make an yeah. honest 100%. effort to create peace with 100%. you guys, but that the the Hamas and the Palestinians are just won't accept it. Yeah, there's just there's just no one. What to is talk to. what is their excuse for not accepting it? They just want the land back. Don't they just care, want every, get right? out? You, you hear the chants from the river to the sea. A lot of people don't know what river and what sea, but right. a lot of people are chanting that. Yeah, um, that's to expel all Jews hmm. from that land. They believe that it's still yeah. theirs. Yeah, that they owned it. Yeah, because um, I've heard it described as just just big ass land dispute. Right, like Jews is, were there. Jews but it's not even big as that. Just, just Palestinians so came in, Jews came back. Who owns it? Well, depends on when you look back in history, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, look, what is this? You cannot change the past. Mm-hmm. The past is what it is. You can only change the future, right? Sure. So if you have no one that is a willing participant to change the future, you're not going to have peace. It's just simple as that. Uh, I think it roots down into anti Semitism in the end. And just a prejudice. Just, a, I mean, we we saw that loud and clear around the world, October eighth, right? The amount of people that were in support of that, the amount of people that went protesting f- against Israel. Um, so I think in the end, it roots down to anti-Semitism. Um, and I think if there wasn't an Israel today, 
in the end, there would be a lot more dead Jews around the world because that gives uh, Jews a voice, that gives Jews a safe haven. Well, you guys were homeless for yeah. like 2,000 years, yeah. right? Like, And that was a lot of where the ridicule or the isolation, I think, came from because when you left originally Jerusalem in that area, when the Romans kicked everybody out, everywhere you went, you were an outsider. Yeah. Right? And that, and that was a lot of... Uh, I, I really like the Martyr Made podcast. Mm -hmm. I've listened to it, and and I think the guy does an amazing yeah, a great job. Podcast. Have you heard it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's phenomenal. And um, like, kind of, because I never understood. I was like, mm -hmm. "What's the deal?" Mm -hmm. And I feel like I finally got a pretty good understanding of both sides of like what's going on. Yeah, it's like you guys were essentially homeless, looking for a place to fit in. Anytime you went somewhere, and people started getting butt hurt, the anti-Semitism started, and you get booted somewhere else. Yeah. So you're constantly like this kind of. Yeah nomad people that's trying to maintain this this sense of unity which was zionism this is all us we want to go back to our own place and our own land and then you know hell a thousand two thousand years go by and you guys have assimilated into multiple different countries and then world war ii kicks off yeah. and you've got it's it's a crazy history yeah it's a crazy history but again um i think we can't just like live in the past sure right like sure. we don't do it in the us we're not like i get it oh yeah uh we had or some people are trying to but we we had slavery in the us in the 1860s and because of that it's my fault sure you know what i'm saying like so it's you can't not live a bad comparison i mean right. there's there's people that want to move on from that there's people that don't yeah. there's value in in keeping the fight going particularly yeah. political value yeah. right yeah and again we talked about that earlier that's there's people making money off of it. Sure. And that's probably the root of the conflict. No doubt. Okay, if you like really dig in and 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 dig enough, that's the root of the conflict. Same thing with, so there's Hamas that rules Gaza, there's the Palestinian Authority under Mahmoud Abbas that rules um, Judea and Samaria or what's called the West Bank, it's mm -hmm. the West Bank of the Jordan River. Um, that dude is a billionaire too. Um, that, I think there was a famous picture from a couple months ago before before all this shit kicked off. Uh, of like like five luxury cars that were in the national airport in, in Tel Aviv that were brought in for his son. Five? Like five, like a Lambo, a Ferrari, like all kinds of crazy So things. he could just pick which one he wanted to ride in that moment? Yeah, God. yeah, yeah. Uh, so huge amounts of corruption. <laughs> that's crazy. That's, that's, I think that's, in the end, that's the root of it. Yeah. And I'm sure at some point, at in some regard, it's also on Israeli politicians as well, that like I said, Bibi and then is doing... But I don't think it's to the point of I will have a thousand of my people murdered to to do so. I just don't think it's it's that. I think it's it's just it just doesn't make sense to well, me. Well, I mean, beforehand you wouldn't know. Yeah, he wouldn't know how how successful yeah. that attack would be. Just that, eh, we might allow it for a minute. Right? Yeah, I don't. I hope the truth comes out. It's yeah. unimaginable to think that a, a nation a, a nation leader would do that to itself. Yeah. Same with the nine eleven. Like yeah. people that believe George Bush planned it, I have no idea. Yeah, but it's a hard thing to imagine yeah. that someone would do. Mm. And I think similar. It, yeah, did he? I don't know. Maybe he did. We may never know. You yeah. know, but it's a hard thing to think about. Like yeah. you don't want to. You don't want to go there in your mind that your own leader would would do that to better position himself yeah. strategically. And also, you have to remember that. BB also served in the army. Yeah. And he lost his brother. Oh, wow. So if you don't, a lot of people don't know this, but he, his brother was killed in Operation Entebbe, mm. where they rescued uh, those people from the airport. 
Okay. So he's one of the first, uh, he was part of Seret Matkal, which is like our Delta Force, mm-hmm. uh, DevGuru, uh, whatever you want to call it, whatever equivalent comparison you want to have. Yeah. Uh, it's always a funny comparison. People always ask me, well, which, which unit is like, I'm like, it's not really the same thing, right? Yeah. You're comparing oranges to apples. But anyways, uh, they chartered a plane. They got uh, a bunch of cars that look like Idi Amin's cars, landed in the tarmac, drove in like their Idi Amin, killed all the guards and rescued you know, 100 something hostages. Wow. This is like the most like, crazy hostage rescue operation ever. I think there's gonna be some more crazy hostage rescue operations that are gonna come out from October 7th, yeah. which there were. Uh, I mean, like rescuing like 200 people at a time, 100 people at a time from different places they were stuck or wow. held up in, yeah. I mean, there's a crazy video available online of the Israeli Navy SEALs um, rescuing like 100 soldiers from a fob that was taken over by Hamas. Wow. Like live fire, throwing grenades, like all kinds of crazy shit. It has been crazy yeah. to have like body cams in war now, yeah. right? I don't know if, I'm sure you've seen the stuff oh, yeah. too. Like I follow, most of it I've seen in the Ukraine war. Yeah. A lot of drones, drone footage, drone war. Yeah. Did y'all deal with a lot? Are y'all using drones oh, much? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Similar, are they like kamikaze drones? Well, we have those, yeah. There's oh, all wow. kinds, there's all kinds. Uh, there's units that are specialized in that. Okay. And that's kind of their... The main deal, but pretty much every unit has drone capabilities. Yeah, I would. You have to. I just expect the whole fence line to buzz almost. It, it is. Right? I mean, like, it literally it, every hundred hearing, meters. There's just a drone. All, stage. You're hearing all day just yeah, buzzing overhead. UAVs, F sixteens, F fifteens, F thirty fives. Yeah. Uh, drones. Um, all. I mean, it's like literally when you're in Gaza, like that's what you're hearing all day. Wow. All day, all night. Um, just constant reconnaissance. Just living in the war zone. Yeah, yeah, and we can pull up some photos from there. Um, I think I think they're labeled Gaza something. I don't know if you went to, <laughs> to the other. I see the mouse moving. Okay, there you go. So uh, there's a photo. I'm gonna just pull up the names from my phone. Hey, uh, Texas flag. Yeah, so I brought the Texas flag. Nice. That's the best country in the world. There you honestly. go. Uh, so this is a rooftop in Gaza with uh, my CO. Um, we just wanted to get a cool shot. Of some. This is inside. So this one, we're securing um, some digging operations. You can see all the ground is kind of dug up there. Yeah. Um, Big tank you're yeah. standing on. There's some rubble. So this is this is in northern uh, Gaza, in, in the town uh, in northern Gaza, where we're um, where I was telling you we're searching for weapons, searching for IEDs. Um, for me, I was mostly Overwatch. Just. I was a Overwatch. sniper too. I yeah. know the story. Yeah. You're just guardian angels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what you're doing. Watch my ass. Uh, and in watch. fact, I remember our first operation. Um, I'm, you know, in a house looking through my scope, and I see the guys just being way too complacent. Like they're just like standing in the middle of the street, like clumped up. I'm like, hey, uh, tell them to spread the fuck out yeah. and get hey, behind cover, dumbass. And like two minutes later, they get shot at. Oh, yeah. I hear some some trainings that just you know, helping a guy get, get zero. So just spotting for him. Uh, and this is, this is like one of the first days I arrived. So just getting all my gear issued and yeah. um, running the lovely uh, HS Precision HDR 2000 and 338 Lapua. Nice. This, this was Hanukkah. This was one of my last nights there. Uh, so this was in Gaza. We were um, lighting the candle. So that was, that was pretty special. That's cool, man. Uh, and this was inside a house in Gaza. So one of the, the wives of the guys uh, in my uh, company, she, I guess she works for a company that does like 3D printing or something like that. So she made a menorah with our unit logo. Oh, that's cool. Uh, over the top where the, the crow unit 
yeah. they're called. Um, and that's our unit logo. Um, so she made us a menorah with that. This is in Tel Aviv. So it's, I always tell people it's pretty funny. People are like, oh, so do you have a gun license? And I'm like, no, I can't get it because I'm not a resident there. But then like I come to the army and like with no ID, they're like, here's your Tavor. Nice. <laughs> uh, so I'm walking around Tel Aviv. So this is, uh, they, they renamed it. It was called the uh, Bima Square where there's a big like national theater. And they renamed it the uh, Hostage Square because they have all kinds of like vigils for the hostages there. Okay. So just walking around Tel Aviv on one of my leaves. Uh, you're strapping with a rifle. Is that pretty common there? Yeah. So in Israel, you you take your rifle home with you if you're in the army. Okay. Um, so you'll see, it's very common. You'll see at pretty much everywhere in Israel, people walking around with, yeah. with rifles. I see pictures of it. I didn't know how, yeah, how very common, common it really is. Very, okay. very common on the trains, in public. Uh, even That's at, why I thought the that th there must have been like a 2A thing. But I guess if everybody- No, these are all soldiers. These are all- issued. They're military. Yeah, pretty okay. much all issued. I mean, there's some people that uh, will carry their handgun openly it's like open carry is not like a thing that's like frowned upon in israel because you just see guns everywhere totally, yeah. um huh. but there's there's a lot of civilians that carry especially now like people you know kind of like how during covid everyone here bought a gun yeah so when october 7th happened everyone's and they loosened up a lot of the restrictions sure. like i have a buddy who's like an engineer like never did any Thing related to combat and he was like texting me like hey what handgun should i get i'm like thinking of smith and weston or or a glock or this i'm like oh, you should get whatever all of them all of them <laughs> you can only get one uh but he he he's he got one and Good he's like him. training now i told him hey come over here and i'll i'll really train you up and it's funny how the moment the government doesn't save you like yeah. everyone starts to wake up yeah. and it's like yeah i better learn to save myself yeah and and i mean we you know with any terrorist attacks that happen it's usually an armed civilian or and just someone that is armed in the area that stops it really 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 fast yeah. um but more often than not it's an armed civilian yeah uh but yeah so everyone everyone is is carrying around israel um well i'm glad to hear that everybody's carrying guns now maybe they'll maybe y'all could adopt the second amendment I, man i'm all for throw it throw that in there you know it was funny because i i people you know people in my unit obviously they know what i do for a living i'm a firearms instructor i deal with guns all day i usually around guns like for me it's very strange to be without a gun yeah or like not be shooting a gun on a fairly regular basis um and you could see little by little they're like well we can't have it like america where where everyone get, gets a gun i'm like why not like what what is the issue with it um you know we saw that limiting people's gun purchase and ammo and the type of gun only puts them at risk right there was no there was no benefit that was to be had by those innocent civilians that were murdered. Sure. Right? If they had rifles in their homes, if that was like a typical suburb of 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 Texas, there would not have been as many people killed. Sure. Even if they're not super well trained. Like you just when you have rifles against handguns, it's 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 not a fair fight. Not even close. Right? Um so you could see that people were like the the gears were starting to turn. I was like, huh, oh, maybe we we do need that. Uh, and those crazy Americans are are right about something, right? <laughs> um, well, so. it's, it was a, a group of people founding a nation right after fighting a war, yeah. right? And they're and having dealt with a, a tyrannical, oppressive government, yeah. realizing, you know, we need guns. Yeah. And so I kind of like I how could, Israel was founded. I, was saying, too, I right? could see Israel is but, coming from the same but situation, I'll tell you what, right? Um, same perspective. Israel at was least. founded on very socialist principles. Okay. Bibi was actually, you could say, credited with 
like integrating the economy a lot more and getting people working um, and bring in more tech and stuff like that. Um, but it was very much founded on a socialist kind of. Thought. Well, I think a lot of the migration there was funded from outside sources. Uh, initially, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was um, there was a whole lot of money being pumped in to just get people there, get yeah. many of them there as possible, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. And Especially so somebody was footing the bill, and I would imagine that that would have an effect on the perspective of, of the people, like, oh, we're here. We didn't have to particularly get ourselves here. No, no, no. I don't think it was that. I, it was just the general kind of mindset of the, the Zionist movement. Mm -hmm. It It came from... You could say some aspect of it came from socialism and communism. Okay. I mean, the kibbutzim are essentially tiny little communist colonies. Okay. Right? Like you you don't have a salary. Uh, really? Now they don't because they realize like if you're managing the factory, you should probably be getting paid more than the guy that's putting the parts together. But, right. Uh, back then it was very much socialist. Um, the kids would be uh, raised, they wouldn't live in the house, they'd be raised by the community. Um so there's still a lot of that, like, oh, the government is gonna take care of me, that I need the government. And I think that's that's starting to be less and less of the mindset of people, especially after October 7th. It was already kind of going that way. Um, I think American influence has, has had an effect on that. Um, could be, yeah, At some point, definitely. British went away yeah. and America kind of stepped up. Yeah, I, right? I think most definitely also just from people, you know, from social media, mm -hmm. like, they see how people live elsewhere and they see the opportunities people have elsewhere. And they're like, well, why are we living like this? Yeah. Right. Um, so that definitely had some, some influence on it. And I think little by little, it's hopefully going to change. What do you think is America's role or responsibility in Israel? Role or responsibility? I think the main role is to not get in the way of Israel doing what it needs to do, first of all, in terms of security. Um, continue to support Israel um, militarily. I think financially, Israel actually does pretty well. I mean, we have a lot of like high-tech companies in Israel. So like the tax base is, is very high. And also that taxation rate in Israel is insane. So really, there's money, yeah. What's the tax rates there? If you are a middle class person, you're probably paying 50% income tax. 50? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, your tariff on cars is 100%. Damn. Yeah, so like for what you can buy a, a Mercedes here, you could probably buy like a Mazda mm. in Israel. Um, so there like, are some it, socialist roots. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like uh, uh, yeah, no shit. sales taxes is like 19%, 18%. Wow. Yeah, so taxes are super high. I mean, Israel is in general like a very expensive place to live. Hmm. Gas is like $8 a gallon. Now, granted, you're not driving far to anywhere. It's a tiny country, but it's That's still very expensive. Yeah. Very, very expensive. Like I, I remember a couple of times I had a rental car and it would cost me more money to fill up the tiny little, whatever, Hyundai, I, whatever, than my truck here. Jeez. So, um but yeah, it's, it, things, I think things will change. I think, uh, you know, from the ashes of this, there's gonna be a lot of big change, a lot of positive changes. So one thing I can tell you that the country is night and day united versus what they were before October 7th. I mean, you know, we had civilians coming to bases, and not just us, like every base, every single day, cooking for us, 
helping us with laundry, bringing us stuff, helping raise donations. Like that was a big issue as well, right? You had all these people called up, there was not enough gear, hmm. right? So people raised like, it's like 100 in grand for, for my company to, to essentially buy us plate carriers and plates. Oh yeah. Cause we only had like flat jackets. I picture enemy at the gates where he's like, one of you gets the rifle, the other gets the yeah, bullet. Not, not that bad. Not <laughs> no, that bad. Uh, good. In terms of guns and ammo, there's <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was, you know, it, it's really like heartwarming to see Israel come together because the months before that, it was, I mean, it was, to me, at least it didn't look like civil war, but there was definitely a huge schism. And there's the, something the to be said for like the tragedy causes unity right yeah. like america was never tighter than september 12th yeah. 2001 right yeah. yeah yeah and so yeah it's, I, it's wild uh, I, sure. yeah i mean even just when i was a fireman we had we had like four or five wildfires one year and half the community was all burned down mm -hmm. but everybody was showing up mm -hmm bringing us chainsaws, buying us yeah. lunch. Like, just like you said, the community comes together when when necessary, but how do we how do we sustain peace if we're just gonna kill each other when we're bored? Yeah. You know? That's, you know, that's the other issue, right? Um, but again, I'm not, I would not call myself an expert. I'm just kind of giving you my, or expert in that geopolitical. Sure, yeah, ideal. yeah. I'm just giving you my view from someone that was on the ground and not only on the ground, but on the ground and most of the kibbutzim with most of these villages that were hit the hardest where, yeah. you know, babies were beheaded, where women were raped, uh, where people were killed. The rave passed by there. You know, we were there as well. Like all, all these places that were, you know, you heard about on the news, I was there. So I, it wasn't like, oh, the news said it. And it's like, I saw it with my own two eyes. Uh, and I saw the destruction with my own two eyes. And um, when you know, like thousand or over a thousand of your, people, right? And also just the Jewish community in general, like there's only 13 million of us. It's not like there's just, uh, you know, a, a billion Chinese or a billion Indian, like there's 13 million of us, that's it, worldwide, right? Uh, 8 million of which are in Israel, or 9 million or something like that. So th that was hard, that was hard. I mean, I think everyone in the Jewish community feels it worldwide, mm. like was traumatized by this event. Um, you know, we did also, part of those first weeks, we were doing a lot of uh, body recovery operations. So, you know, whether it was drones or aerial footage that identified there was a body, um, somebody, it doesn't matter who, who could have been a terrorist, they, you couldn't tell at that point. Uh, and we would go in and essentially secure operations to rescue those bodies, get them DNA ID'd and find out who it was. Cause there's still, I mean, it took, probably a month to figure out who was missing, who was killed, who was, yeah. and they're still figuring out, oh, th this hostage is actually dead. He's just dead in Gaza. Yeah. Um, so we did quite a bit of that uh, and quite a bit of like recovery operations. Cause in Judaism, like you have to find every single piece of that person's body in order to bury him. Really? Yeah. Um, and I would assume the Palestinians know that as well. Is there yeah, a lot that's of, part of the MO. desecration that's why kidnap, of Yeah, that's why they the desecrate bodies. bodies and, that's why they kidnap bodies. Do you feel like a lot of that it, or any of it was, was more done for show? Like they're being overly grotesque. They're being overly mutilating to the body. Like it's um, not just I'm going to go in and kill anybody I see because we're trying to make a political point mm -hmm. here. Like 
even as just a soldier, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to kill a child. Yeah. I wouldn't, like, I'm looking for combatants. So in my mind, if he believes that he's a soldier and he's targeting children and women and the, the most vile Mm -hmm. things that we believe or acts as human beings that you could do, like, is the motive not more for the show of it? Like, who are you showing for? Who is, who is this show for? Is it for the world? Is it for the Israelis? You know what? It- I don't know. But when it, when it goes back to what you were talking about, humanizing or dehumanizing the enemy. Who's trying to understand it, right? Like, what definitely dehumanized fuck? us. Because again, you're dealing with a culture that from that moment that the child can speak, mm-hmm. they're educated to hate. Sure. Versus, you know, you walk into any Israeli school, they're like, Doing finger painting and right, which makes them a very useful tool to a malevolent overlord. Right yeah. there, at the youngest age, you are not permitted to think. Yeah, well, you're being told what to think mm-hmm. toward an enemy that makes you, you know, a utility to me, so yeah. that I can then talk you into killing yourself uh, for the cause. Yeah, hundred percent. Right, and I'm sure you saw like very similar stuff in Iraq, sure, and Afghanistan, suicide before. bombers. Yeah. yeah, how do you convince someone to yeah. do that? Right, like yeah, it's yeah. it's hard thing to wrap your head it's around. Crazy, it is. It's very crazy. But you're also dealing with fanatics. Mm. You're also dealing. I mean, people will say religion of peace. I don't know. Partially, maybe <laughs> um, between it, <laughs> it, it certainly didn't get as popular as it is through peace. Yeah, and that's you know, Muhammad had armies that sure. Um, conquered lands um but you're dealing with with a culture like i said kind of from the beginning you're dealing with people that don't want to have peace with you okay the, the people that are they're they're taught to hate okay while we're taught to love to to educate our children to go to college i mean i can tell you that pretty much everyone that was with me in reserve and i'm sure active duty they they would rather be in 10 other places than being in the army right now. Yeah. They have businesses, they got families, they got kids, they they have jobs that they work. They don't want to be there. They're there because they have to be there because people are trying to kill us. Do you feel like the Palestinians have other places to be? It certainly doesn't look like, like it. Yeah, like they're committed. Yeah, it certainly doesn't look like it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, in the Palestinian Authority, they pay families of martyrs. For their martyrdom, mm, so the U.S. tax money that's paid to the Palestinian an... Authority goes to pay terrorist families. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so that that stuff gets gets real. again. I think there will be peace when the other side wants to have peace. Yeah, I th- I think it's just is that simple. And also when you root out all this corruption and money that's behind all of all of that's what's pushing pushing this forward. I think just defund it and then see see how where their loyalties really are. Yeah. See how fired up they are when they're not being paid. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, recently, I think it was this week that a bunch of countries defunded uh, UNRWA. It's like the UN refugee something because they found out that they were essentially just a pawn of Hamas in the Gaza Strip, right? Mm. So. Mm. Is there any other stories you'd like to share about your time over there? I mean, there was a lot, there was either questions of like, how are things in Israel or what did you do? Yeah. yeah right. Those yeah, are the yeah. kind of two to make. So like in terms of what I did, I'm a sniper. Like I did overwatch. I made sure my guys stay uh, safe. Stay safe. Yeah. Like that's what I did 90% of the time. And I think we did a good job at it. At it. We a couple of times identified uh, houses that were being ID'd 
This is the dummy had like a cell phone and you can see that on night vision. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, so I'm sure what I did corresponded to saving lives. Sure. I'm sure of it. What's the culture like in the Israeli army? The culture. Everybody oh, pretty yeah. proud to serve. Everybody yeah. a little so mandatory fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so on pre-October 7th, uh, unless people are in volunteer type units, special forces units, um, they're not too happy to serve. They're like, I have to do this. I'm going to do it. And, and that's it. Or specialized, you know, like specialized into like places you have to like actually work to get into. Right. Um, the general consensus is that people would rather do other things than serve in the army. I mean, look in the US, right? Like less than 1% of the population serves in the US military, right? Because they don't have to. And they would rather do other things. Even though it might be probably a good idea for them to serve and do something that's a little bit different than what would do, they would do in their regular I life. I think that it would have a net positive yeah. impact on our yeah, population. I think so as well. For spoiled kids to just get out of the country yeah. even, just see another perspective. Yeah. And yeah. Um, right now, everyone is super proud to serve. Yeah. I mean, we had people return to reserve duty that like I have not seen in a decade. <laughs> or, or like, and sometimes our captain was like, sorry, I can't let you in. Like we don't have, we don't have space. We don't have the logistics for you. You are we're, too fat. <laughs> yeah, and we haven't seen you in a decade. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but there was like I think 150 percent like show up rate. For wow. Members. Yeah. So like everyone wants to serve. Everyone wants to be there. All my friends that are here that could not go back for one reason or the other, whether they didn't have a unit or they just had a baby, and like their wife was like, "You're not fucking leaving." Yeah. Um, they want to be there right now. I have a good friend of mine. Bless is always like almost 40 and he was in the tankers uh and he was like and he has a great job he's got three kids uh up in detroit and he wanted to go and serve and i'm like bro you're too old you're too fat and they don't need you um i still got it Fuck yeah you. <laughs> yeah yeah um i mean there's almost at this point you know also like the the combat operations are winding down they're very very targeted um so the amount of reserves that's needed is not as much they've already released i think a division or two yeah of people uh, my guys they've been pulled out of gaza they're more on like security operations back on the fence which is not too interesting at at this point in, in the war um but i can tell you that if anything pops up up north like serious people are going to be trying to be there first. Mm. Like it's a very, very united. Um, in terms of the overall culture, again, it's a conscript army. So you have a lot of people that don't wanna be there. Right. Um, but you also have a lot of people that are very proud of what they do and they wanna do it and- What's the most want... common leadership style that, that cause I mean, in, the, in a volunteer force, at least in the Marine Corps, leadership styles, varied greatly but there was a whole lot of fuck you do it i say yeah there's a lot of that okay there's a lot of that i mean i feel like with i mean like with draftees back yeah. in vietnam or like if people were conscripted i feel like it'd be harder as a leader to come on with that strategy because yeah. you're just going to get middle fingers so in the regular infantry yeah um there's a lot of that 
because a lot of those guys don't necessarily want to be in the regular infantry. They just had the medical profile. So like a segregation of dudes who give a fuck and dudes who don't? Yeah. Okay. And usually the dudes that go give a fuck, they usually go to commander's course and then they'll go to officer's school and stuff like that. Um, you know, for me, I had a mixed batch. Like I had commanders that I loved and I would follow them to the end. And I had commanders that I absolutely hated because they were like that. Yeah. And they didn't like just let us do our thing and trust us to do our thing. Um, right now in reserve, I would say I was very happy with, with all of my command. Our captain was the best leader you could ask for. Um, my, uh, commanding officer, uh, was great, super professional, which for me is important because of what I do. Like, I don't want some dude that like doesn't know the fuck he's talking about on a technical level, telling me what to do. And he was super professional, really knew his stuff. Competence is the currency, right? Like, (laughs) yeah. So that for me, that gave me a lot of confidence in him. Yeah. There was stuff that he taught me that I was like, oh, that's that's cool. I never thought of that. Um, so right now I would say the leadership is good and any bad leadership gets weeded out real quick because we're at war. Like we just can't have that. Yeah. Um, like there was one uh, commanding officer that was kicked out because there were some leadership issues um, and he was replaced, so. Nice. Yeah, but it varies. Like I said, it varies. I think it's probably similar to any military or any organizations you got really good leaders, you got really bad leaders, and you got everything in between. Is it possible for a conscript to be a leader or is that more like- Yeah, yeah, 100%. Like yeah. you're conscript and you're like, hey, I like this, I'm good at this. Um, yeah. Well, you'd yeah. have to re-enlist voluntarily, right? Like you, you only, no. how, long is, how long are you initially forced to serve? And then you know, if they like it, they can stay. So it varies um, and it changes all the time. Uh, it's usually about three years for men and two years for women. Some women serve three years, depending on what they sign up to do. Um, but generally, if certain characteristics of leadership are found in you during basic and advanced infantry training, a lot of times immediately after that, they'll send you to a commander's course to be like, a, I guess, a squad commander. Oh. Uh, Is a college required to be no, an officer or anything? Like not that? not on the lower tiers. Like okay. past, I think, major, you have to okay. have, to have some type of degree. Um then if they're like, hey, you know what, this this dude has real potential, uh, they'll send you to officer school while you're still in your kind of enlisted service. And then you would be in command of something or have some type of officer role. And then you would continue on usually for another year to two years minimum. In addition, you'd like you have to sign on as if you become an officer. Okay. Uh, and then some people decide to leave after that. Some people t- decide to stay. It just depends on what people's interest is and what the current political climate is and what they want to do in life sure. and you know did that. you want to be a sniper oh yeah i i always like super into shooting like i i was not a shooter before the army like my parents are kind of anti-gun they not into it um never grew up hunting or anything uh but i always had like a like just you know like boy that's into guns and and shit like that um i can relate yeah yeah <laughs> so i was always into shooting i was a pretty good shot off the bat i just listened to what they told me and applied it um and then when sniper school was was an option there was guys that like not interested doing don't want to do it there was a couple guys that were interested and then i think there was some type of i don't remember what it was but it was some type of like very 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 basic qualification for it and then i went to sniper school i loved it i mean that was like my 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 jam uh, and I still, I mean, long range shooting is, is still my favorite. Like I teach mostly handgun and like, you know, defensive rifle type of stuff. But if I could do long range shooting all day, every day, have the logistics to do that, 
I would do that all day, every day. Like, that's my favorite. Like, I went at a rifle course I taught this past weekend, and the range there has a 1,000-yard uh, shooting area. Mm. So I just came in the day before and just for, like, three hours just zoned out long-range shooting. Like, nice. That's, that's, that's like, my, my meditation, like... Man, you love the ranch that I work at uh, out in West Texas. We've had some Israelis yeah. out there quite a few times. It's like 10 or 12,000 acres. There's like nice. 36 ranges on it. It's hill yeah. country. So there's like deep valleys, mm -hmm. big hills, lots of wind. Yeah. Uh, about a, about 12 ranges are all over 1,000 yards. Mm -hmm. And so we, we go out there. I think two miles is the yeah. farthest that they can play with. But nice. like it's... Yeah. It's a rifleman's paradise. Yeah, yeah. And to me, you know, I really, you know, because in my various reserves, I was doing some sniper duties, but it was very, very mellow. Like we were in a war, we're doing security. Sure. And I really fell in love back with like the field craft mm. and, you know, building highs and all that stuff. Like, I was just like, man, I love this shit. Like, yeah. this is this is my jam. I just get, get in the building, fucking sneak in, you know, make it look like it's empty, set up, start, you know, doing my my sector sketches. And uh, I, like, I love that shit. Like yeah. that's that's my jam. It was fun. Yeah. It was a lot And also like you feel like you're doing shit and you're realistically the only real effective person with your rifle. Um, so it's it's cool. I love it. I'm sure. I'm sure that for you, that's your I felt the well. same way. I, I joined the Marine Corps with the intention of being a sniper mm -hmm. and you know, getting to do that. It's exciting. It's fun. It's fun to have the autonomy, right? Yeah. To only be with you. And so if you fuck up, it's on you. Yeah. But if you're competent and, and good at your job, like you don't have to worry about 12 other people yeah. doing something dumb. And then you, you know, you're restricted by the rules that get blanketed out for mass mm -hmm. groups of people. Like, you know, it's just a couple of us. So there were yeah. times when we could go slick and we'd drop plate carriers and we'd, you know, just skirt off into the darkness, do our shit and come back. Yeah. You can't do that as a squad. No. Right? Like they're not going to, they don't give you that kind of leniency or, or that kind of freedom and autonomy. That's what I liked. I liked making, calling my own shots. Yeah. And not feeling like a, like bait. Like there was a lot of times it just felt like bait. Like y'all go out into that city. Like in Karma was a big one. Uh, a root bow was a big one. They're just foot patrol for no fucking reason yeah. other than to see if you can instigate something, right? Yeah. Go out and pick a fight, uh -huh. right? It's like, so we're bait. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so th that was I didn't like that. definitely for us too in Gaza. You yeah. know, the guys would go on whatever patrol dealer mm -hmm. and we were like, you know, we had our uh, uh, autonomy to do what we need to do. Also, we were, you know, tasked to different units. Yeah, yeah. Or different companies here and there, which was cool. You feel like your employment was pretty good? Like you were able to do your job? I ran into a lot of issues with commanders that just didn't know what to do with me. So during my active duty, yeah. that was definitely an issue. Okay. Uh, I got to say that the the sniper methodology or the sniper team way of doing things in the IDF has improved drastically mm. since I was in service because I thought like my sniper school was shit. Really? Yeah, it was like really bad. Oh. Just from the quality of instruction and just the weapons we had. I mean, this was, you know, 12 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but like just seeing the gear that like the active duty guys have and their know-how and and their skill of shooting uh, and their field craft, mm -hmm. like that was cool to see. And also because I think because of our my CO, he did a really good job of making sure that 
we were used properly and not just like thrown in and like a regular rifleman and like what am i doing yeah. at 100 yard range with a fucking 3-3 lapua yeah you know with a holding a big target yeah 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 <laughs> yeah uh so that that was done very well i think they did a good job of like letting us do our thing like That's we're good. supposed to do um and like i said i i thought we were the most effective like in the field i think just in terms of intel gathering in terms of protecting our guys like i in terms of just general usefulness i thought we were the most useful so that was that was really cool for me nice what caliber rifles are you guys using so the main two that the reserve have uh is a 3-3 lapua mm. um which just just a good like heavy bullet that knocks people down um yeah if you can see them you can touch them with that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. uh so we had the the hs precision hdr 2000s um we actually got a couple like new out of the box rifles which was cool nice um so that was that was nice with Le leopold mark sixes and then a flare clip on that's a big ass gun to carry yeah, it's though fucking like heavy. it was you're heavy. not doing long movements with no that it's a guy that was a nice thing like everything is kind of short okay uh like a lot of times i just sling it on my back and walk with my rifle um we also had m24s okay like the old school remington yep. like yeah army uh sniper rifle yeah 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 seven six two Thankfully, I got away from that thing as quick as I could, and s stuck to the to the HTR. Uh, we so uh, in the IDF, the different weapons have different like Israeli names to them. So that one is called the Barak. Okay. Um, for whatever reason, Barak means lightning. So it's called oh. lightning. Uh, the new guys they have some um, like more modular M24 version where you got all kinds of rails and. Stuff to hook but up. But pretty standard it. NATO stuff. 762 and yeah, 338. Yeah, uh, Some of the SF units that are running, uh, Barrett Rec 10s and 308. Yep. Um, I'm sure there's other, some secret units that are yeah, yeah. other stuff. I'm but, just curious. But it's, yeah, it's mostly NATO stuff. Mostly nice. NATO. Uh, 338, 308, or 762 by 51. Um, so yeah. Yeah, that's that's kind of the main, the main you, gear. Are y'all designating a wind value to your rifles? Like a standard simple wind, simple wind formula. Um, kind of a wind wind calls you all making. How do you do that? What so we have mean? kestrels. Okay. Yeah. So we we actually got a donation of like the newest like fifty seven hundred with a a b a p ballistics whatever a b ballistics yeah or a advanced ballistics or Apply, applied ballistics applied ballistics yeah. So the name. Uh, so we were like super dead on. Okay. Uh, and we trued them as well, so we made sure that. Uh, they were good because I'm like my, like the rifle that I had in it was super worn out. So, you know, like the velocity they're assuming that rifle, that probably a little slower, a little slower, yeah. right? That's maybe a little bit of a smooth bore, right? <laughs> um, so those we, kestrels are, are fucking money. Yeah. I mean, it's cheating. It's, it is. It's, it's fucking cheating. It really like I was, is. I was, I bought my, when I got back up, I was like, I can need one of these. Yeah. So I bought one and when I went long range shooting last Friday, I was like 800 yards, first shot hit. I'm like, all right this shit works but yeah we would uh we would uh true them we would measure wind we'd so you're just using the kestrel to get a wind value and and make your wind call off of whatever it tells you yeah i mean we had like ballistics charts that were issued to us from the army with like standardized stuff but again we didn't really trust that super closely because the it only tells now it only tells you the wind where you are exactly so and in there's other conditions there are observation yeah. that you're doing yeah um so we relied on the Kestrels quite a bit. Um, so simple wind formula that, that I've been teaching um, 
has been really useful. And we didn't do it in the Marine Corps. We didn't okay. do it with the agency or the, the the State Department or any of them. I learned it out there. Mm-hmm. I think it's a pretty common PRS thing, though. Okay. And and it's you you go through your kestrel and you'll look at it and see at about five hundred yards for a medium caliber mm-hmm. round. You know where do your yard lines match? with your tenths of mils if you're in mils or in minutes it would be divided by half so where at 500 yards with what wind speed do i have the closest to a 0.5 wind hold Mm -hmm. and then does it line up all the way down and from seven and in it usually does Mm -hmm. so at 400 i've got a 0.4 at 600 i've got a 0.6 at Mm -hmm. 300 i've got a 0.3 right and so you can go through the kestrel and change the wind values and then look at the dopes that it gives you Mm -hmm. to see where it gives as closest to those lineups that's cool and it creates a very easy hey i've got a six mile an hour gun Mm -hmm. okay i know in blocks of six at 500 meters, my initial wind hold out of my head is 0.5. Yeah. And then I'll decrease for angle of wind if it's not pure left or right, if we got a head or tail. Yeah. Or I'll decrease due to topography if I'm shooting, you know, and there's a big building or a big hill. You know what I mean? Yeah. But there's your baseline. Boom. I'm at 500. Okay. Baseline's 0.5 for Mm -hmm. my gun. And it'll change for calibers, right? But I had never done that until I started. Yeah, I'd love to try that. Dude, it's super, it's yeah. really cool. It's when really is the hardest? Easy. When is always the hardest? Yeah. When's the art, right? Yeah. Any drunk monkey can pull yeah. that trigger. But yeah. if you can call when, yeah. you're the ninja. And we, dude, I teach 10-year-olds how to do that shit in like three days. Yeah. So it's, what what we did in terms of wind is, you know, we'd be in these, you know, overwatch positions for a long, long time. Yeah. So we would just learn the wind patterns. Mm-hmm. During in terms of the part of the day, because also Gaza is on the sea, right? So yeah, you have yeah. very Pretty predictable, steady, yeah, very predictable wind patterns uh, during certain times of the day and, and certain speeds, and also with um, with the reticle that we had, we had the tremor too. So we had the the wind dots for every seven k, yep. which was super handy yep. as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so y'all are working kilometers, huh? Yeah, we're, we're everything okay. kilometers. Yeah, everything. You're back. all fucked up. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know it's funny because <laughs> I came back and you know I got people with mills and stuff, yeah. and then like the distance, I'm like, and uh, that mills in minutes, and I'm like converting back and forth. I'm like, oh, it, dude. I mean, the first couple weeks when I was working at the at the shooting school, yeah. like, yeah, back and forth. Are you in mills or minutes? Mills or minutes? Like back and forth, yeah. back and forth. It, it it isn't difficult after a while, but yeah, initially, like you go cross eyed. Oh, and I forgot that our old scopes were minute adjustment, but mill dots. Yeah, which that's is like fun, the right? most like dumb yeah. thing ever. Yeah. My inertal in two thousand five when I went to sniper school was mill dots with minute yeah. adjustments and, and it, i completely it, forgot about that and we're doing a review i'm like what why yes yeah, we've come a long way yeah the, yeah, the technology's yeah definitely from prs there's been a lot of cool cool stuff that's been brought and i mean i, mean, I just i showed him like a lot of stuff that's like on just learning to be comfortable like getting comfortable in positions like tripod shooting thankfully we've got a couple of donations with like some badass like um carbon fiber tripod yeah with amounts yeah that was the best thing to have. It was it was like the most clutch thing to have. Are y'all running really right stuff or what are y'all running? It was uh that funny like Norwegian brand, Umflun, whatever something. Okay. Yeah, but they were super not familiar. <laughs> yeah, they were they, I mean they're super cool, yeah. They're yeah. super pricey, but they were they're awesome. Yeah, I got on with I got a Santa Claus optics carbon fiber. Okay. It was like four hundred for the whole thing. Ball wow. head, everything. Yeah. It's a great tripod. Yeah. So the reason why I went with this one, I was hunting in South Africa oh, yeah. with a friend of mine, Johnny's actually one of our instructors as well. Um and he he was he brought that tripod and he was doing a review for SIG on their mm-hmm. cross. 
And I used that thing. I'm like, huh, this this is pretty badass. Because I have I have just like the hog saddle for myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I brought that with me too. And that was pretty clutch for yeah. me. Um, but I was like, Arca is really the way to go. Like, why are we using anything else? Yeah. If you can clip in, man, it's yeah. 100% way to, way to roll. So it was, it was sure. super handy. It's just getting the tripod yeah. that's light enough and mobile. You, you know, throw a strap on it, throw it around your back. You're yeah. good to go. Because tr- it's funny because the tripods that they issue mm-hmm. are super heavy. Oh. And at least what we were issued, it's like this, this fucking tray thing that you lay the rifle on. And then you're like bench rested on this tray on the stripe. Oh, they should and, use like a shooting uh, plate or a. Yeah. And I was like, called. this is what we call Israeli solution. Base plate. Israeli problem. Yeah. Like, they don't know about Arca. So they were like trying to figure out how to stabilize their gun. But anyways, I brought them the Arca stuff and they were like, oh. Yeah. Those base plates kind of things are, they're useful sometimes. I usually end up putting like a game changer bag on it. Yeah. You right? have to. Otherwise you, it's just. Yeah. It's, the tripod, yeah. yeah. It's totally. You're way for sure. Clip yeah. in. A hundred percent clip in. Yeah. You can, uh, if you can pull up the image. Uh, so there's an image of me just sitting in a, in a hide and you can, I, th- I think I'm on a tripod. There's one that's on a tripod, one that's not on the tripod. Let's see if they can pull it up. I had a guy, a uh, Chinese kid come up to us at the Dallas Safari Club show for uh-huh. Leo Frodo. It's a Chinese brand launching their version of like the really right stuff type uh-huh. of a tripod. And it was solid. It was I a mean, they tripod. just copy everything. That's right? all they did, right? They, they co- that's why they go to Chat Show. They go to Chat Show and just take pictures of everything. Quite literally, yeah, exactly. Yeah. what. But their price points, I mean. Yeah, so there we go. It's Arca. There you go. Yeah. Um, and it was just. Nice. Super comfy. Yeah. And, you know, you're standing, you're comfortable. You can be like this for hours. Right, right. Um, stable. And a good like easy placard. I can just pop off when I need it. And just I've got a thermal on a rifle. I hog hunt that way. And then it links to my phone mm-hmm. and I Velcro my phone to the leg of the tripod. And so I just swing the buttstock while I sit in the chair and drink beer. Yeah. <laughs> just watch the screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's cool. That, that was, uh, that came in like, I was like, oh my God, I'm so, and they literally, those tripods came in like, or not the, the adapters, because we didn't have like Picatinny to Arca adapters for the bottom of the gun. And those adapters came in like the day before we went into Gaza. Nice. So I was like, yes. That was good. That was good timing. Yeah, right? it was like perfect timing. <laughs> yeah, perfect timing. Do you have any kids? No, just dogs. Just dogs? Yeah, just two dogs. Okay. Panda, You're married though. Fun. I see you got yeah. the ring. Do y'all plan on having any children? Yeah, 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 definitely. How about yourself? I do. I have a five and a half year old boy and another little boy on the way. Nice. Yeah. Congrats. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, we have we have a Shih Tzu. She's like a little girl pretty much. Okay. Yeah, she gets she's quiet. like a little girl. Oh, you mean like a little girl person? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like your daughter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She sleeps in our bed. She like gets wipey down every time she goes for a walk. She's uh, very demanding. Do you do your children have to serve in the Israeli no, army? No, so the way it works, if you live there until the age of fourteen, at least last time I checked, uh, and you leave the country, you still are expected to do service or get some type of exemption because of medical, psychological, or educational reasons. Okay. Um, But, I mean, I personally did not have to serve because I left Israel when I was fairly young. Okay. But, like I said, I like guns. I was like, I want to do this shit. And, like, I hated- But you wanted to go to Israel, not in the States, because you were here, right? Yeah. yeah. You didn't want to serve here. No, it just, it wasn't even something that, like, was in the back of my mind. It was, like, a weird thing. I I, I was thinking about that the other day, and I was like, it wasn't even, like- something that was like in the back of my mind thinking about it. it was just like no i just i know i want to go to israel and serve in the idf yeah 
Uh, and I mean, I've always stayed in touch, obviously, with all my friends and family in Israel and stuff like that. So I think that's probably why sure. that was first choice. Um, and uh, yeah. Would you want your kid to surf? I think so. Yeah. Um, at least in some capacity. In Israel? In, in Israel, I think just to do some type of service. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's just important, again, to just get a life perspective, get out of the house, get out, have something that you did that made the world better between finishing school and going to the adult world or if you decide to go to school. I think if for nothing else, but to be a part of something that's bigger than you. Yeah, and that too. Because like every... Everyone is their own main character in their own story, right? Yeah. You yeah, know? Yeah. But once you're joined the military and you're stripped of all your own identity and kind of placed placed into the the machine. Yeah, you're a number. You're a number, right? Yeah, you're, you're a number, number and it only works if everybody, you know, complies. Yeah. And so there is definitely a sense of humility I felt in, oh shit, it don't matter at all what I mm -hmm. think, what I want, what I like none of those mm -hmm. it doesn't matter and so that was kind of i feel like that kind of brought me down a little bit and and probably a time in my life that i was fairly egocentric yeah <laughs> when for I was sure. 20 yeah. and at the peak of yeah. physical ability and shit yeah and that that was definitely a remind like i was reminded of that like when i went back to reserve and you're seeing like big big army working yeah like, oh i'm just a fucking number i am nobody right yeah i'm, I'm like they're doing nobody. with us whatever they want yep like, Go there, go here. Human cannon fodder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, yeah. that's definitely, I think that's kind of a good. Would you rather your your child serve in Israel or America? Um, I think it would depend what's the current situation. Uh, right now. Right now? <laughs> sure. Right now, probably in Israel. Yeah, yeah if it was yeah. right now in Israel. I think the, the US right now, there's just too much like chaos going on, especially with the current leadership of the country. Mm. I, I would not want my child going into the US military like right now. I wouldn't either, man. I, I think it's just like too wacky with like all the vaccine ma mandates they had before, all this like woke stuff that's 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 like making its way into the military. Uh, I just don't think like it's a good time. Like military should be apolitical. Doesn't matter where you are at. Yeah. And it, when it starts it's becoming right political, it's, yeah. it's, it's just not good. It's, it's just not good, so. Tell me about your business. Cool. Um, what's what's it called? I know I know Bernardo has been in here. I don't know when we're going to air these in what order. Sure. So tell me about that. Where can people find you and yeah? So get some training. Um, I have a company called Tactical Fitness. It's the the cool logo. Yeah. Um, I had someone uh, at a trade show once come up to me. He just cracks me. It always reminds me when I talk, describe the company. He's like, oh, that's so smart, Tactical Fitness, because you can't be fat if you're tactical or if you can't be tactical if you're fat. So nice. Um, it's kind of a play on words. It's it, we. We do actually, you could say, very little fitness specific stuff like personal training. We, we have people that we do some personal training with, um, but we specialize mostly in firearms training for civilians. Um, so we have open enrollment courses like, you know, most instructors have around the country where you come in, we have a handgun fundamentals class, we have a rifle fundamentals class. Uh, we have other concepts that I think are unique to us uh, in terms of kind of our flagship products. So one of which is uh, Concealed Carry Krav Maga, which is essentially combining hand-to-hand um, -hand with shooting. Um, we have several levels to it. Uh, it starts at just the handgun fundamentals and just, hey, learn how to fight in the most basic sense and learn how to avoid fights in the most yeah. basic sense. 
Um, and then the level two, it's more of how to draw in those very close in distances and how to fight in those close in distances when you have a weapon on you and when there's weapons involved. Uh, the other course that we have is more of a, a brainchild of Bernardo's from his um, executive, or not executive, uh, his dignitary protection background. And it's our family protector course, which as far as I'm concerned, no one is doing anything like it. Mm. Um, so don't steal our idea, those of you that are watching. But uh, essentially it's how to apply all those shooting skills to defending your loved one. So you're, you know, you're out and about with your wife and your child. Okay, you know how to shoot, but have you ever really practiced handling a situation when you're with all those people? Mm. So we, it's not a fundamentals class. It's, it's, you have to be a little bit, we require people to have been to a fundamentals class before or have some experience, but essentially you do all kinds of drills and scenarios. The first level is, is kind of a fundamentals level to just understanding the concepts and principles and live fire. And we do, we do make people do a little bit of fitness in that just to amp up their stress. Yeah. And in the level two, we do force on force. So we do live fire drills. And then obviously we want to, we want people to validate it in scenarios. Uh, so we try to do scenario, but we do that in our concealed carry karma level too as well to put on the suits and fight it out. That's cool. Uh, because we want people to validate their training, right? We don't want them to be like, oh, Ron said this will work and this is great. Let let me actually try this against someone that is now willing. Yeah. Right. Uh, so we do we do that. Um, I feel like force on force is one of the most underrated oh, yeah, things. That people, like nobody wants to go that far. They all want to sit on the range, shoot a thousand rounds, yeah. ding, 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 hear the rings, hear the sting ring. Yeah, it's like the karate guys. Hear the spar. sting ring, still yeah. ring. Yeah. Can't fucking it's, talk. It's like the karate guy, guys in yeah. this part, right? Like, yeah. oh, I don't need to, I know. You, you have to test it out, Absolutely. right? Um, another cool concept that we have, and it's more of a, you have to call in or be invited to it. It's our combat club. Uh, and it's essentially, it's a weekly tactical training group. That's cool. And every month we have a different topic. We usually start the month out with a tactical workout. So it'll be some type of lifting, shooting stages, stuff like that. Uh, and it's a it's a pretty cool group. We've had people that have been doing it like nonstop with us for like two to three years. And nice. they're super dedicated. And they're like the level of firearms handling skills is like through the roof uh, and just their tactical acumen. So. It's cool, and we offer other other classes out there. Uh, I work with IWI, Israeli Weapon Industries, so I, I teach their Tavor Operator classes in Texas and Utah. Uh, so we teach all their three levels of Tavor Operator, uh, or bullpup, or really carbine, any carbine-related stuff. We have a new concept we're working on is the urban carbine, uh, just kind of mashing mine and Bernardo's experience, um, and kind of applying again. You know, we, we there's a lot of classes that work on the marksmanship, which is important, that's your base. But we want people to go a little bit beyond that of, okay, how do I tactically move now between points of cover? How do I uh, communicate as well? That's a big thing that we've been just adding more and more in our courses. Like, okay, you didn't just shoot. Okay, how do you communicate? How do you get your, your wife to come to you? How do you communicate to the other guy that's armed to go around you, right? So the communication aspect of it, um, I think the medical side's a big one too. And the but medical, right. Once the shoot's over, you're going to be looking around this mass cal scene, yeah. right? Uh, 10, 20 people bleeding and or dead. Yeah. Like, well, how do you manage that yeah. scene now? And that's another course that we offer. That's yeah. John, the guy that go hunting with is a former oh, army guy, US army guy. Yeah. Um, very, very experienced paramedic. It's been blown up a bunch of times in Afghanistan. As he's quite a bit of experience. So he, he, teach, he leads those courses for us. He's also a bullet nerd and a gun nerd, so we have him teach our long range class. He's go. just like 
he's a freaking encyclopedia that uh but he teaches our med classes and in those two we do force on four scenarios cool again so people have to instead of doing a stage situation they're having to deal with what they got and there's consequences if you just run out and do something stupid um so th those are kind of our main course so we do some work with law enforcement um y'all on there. instagram facebook yeah so we're on instagram facebook tactical fitness austin tactical fitness austin.com grinder grinder no maybe bernardo i don't know maybe he's on there uh has a hidden account and uh that's it i mean just just a bunch of courses a bunch of training uh we do a lot of corporate events as well corporate uh, consulting, like security consulting, yeah. uh, self-defense consulting, uh, kind of the big thing that's been coming up lately for a lot of business, especially if they have offices downtown, is the, the security of their employees. Mm. Uh, so we've been doing a lot of self-defense classes. Just, you know, you're not gonna teach people how to like fight in two hours, but you can most certainly teach them how to profile a bad situation and how to do everything in your power to avoid it. Yeah, situational awareness and avoid the fight will yeah. get you a long way. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, so that's that's kind of another side of the company. It's rare that you can't just run. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <You> 100%, 100%. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of the gist of what we do and um, that's pretty much it. That's awesome, man. Mm. I may have to come in and take a class. I We'd love to have you come out. I, I, I love force on force. Yeah. I like the executive protection stuff, especially the the mindset it puts you in to have a, a package or mm -hmm. a principle or whatever you want to call it, your yeah. wife with you. Yeah. Because it does change the way that you move. Yeah. It changes. My wife takes priority. Mm -hmm. My son's probably going to be in her arms. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And 100%. so as we clear danger areas, I go into that danger area and I'm shielding, I'm blocking, I'm using exactly, the body, yeah. not just covering with a pistol and we're all running. Yeah. Right? And that 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 and force on force, I think, is is kind of the the main ones where people are kind of past the fundamentals and they're really like, oh, okay. I need to really think about it now. Yeah. It's a thinking man's game. Yeah. It's like CQB. Yeah. Like anybody can stand on a flat range and shoot. Yeah. Get your ass in a house, navigate the house with another person or with yeah, another person with a gun trying speak. to, yeah, it is. It's super fun too. And it yeah. fucking hurts when they shoot you. So oh, yeah. you Those can't UTM game it too bad. are painful. <laughs> yeah, they Very are. painful. Uh, but yeah, we'd love to have you. We'd love, yeah, I think you'd really cool. enjoy the, um, the family protector one, I think, I, I know, think would be I would. cool, I know. cool for you. And then we definitely need to go out and do some long range, uh, yeah, man, shooting. I love that stuff. That sounds great. Well, do you have a book recommendation? I wanted to close out with that. You said you're a reader. Was yeah, so I, I try to be constantly reading or listening to audiobooks, just depending on how my my schedule. Probably like you, I drive a lot, driving to courses, yeah. driving to meetings, driving to whatever. Um, so. Um, I, I read all kinds of books. I really try to read stuff that's nonfiction. Yeah. Because to me, like stories are nice, but I want to learn something. Me too. Um, so like right now I'm reading a book on like physical therapy because I have a lot of injuries just from the miles I put on my body between being a lifelong martial artist and uh, military service and all that stuff. Uh, so I'm just trying to figure out how to fix my body or be injured less. That's kind of the main thing. Uh, another book I'm reading, uh, it's called, I think, The Question of Command. Okay. Uh, it is a book on counterinsurgency. Wow. I actually started reading it before the war, just someone recommended it to me. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, and I took a pause during the war because I just was like scrambled to pack a bag and, and leave. Uh, and now um, 
things are settling down a little bit. I'm gonna get back to to reading that. Uh, there's a book I read every year because I just love it. It's uh, Ryan Kleckner's uh, Long Range Handbook. Okay. I think it's like people always ask me like about long range shooting, and it's just like the best organizations of fundamentals of long range shooting I've ever read. Really? So I just always I just read it once a year just as a refresher. Like, yeah. Refresher. That's just awesome. refresh my memory. Yeah. Because I don't like. Like I said, I would love to be doing long range shooting every single day. Unfortunately, I get to do it maybe once a month. Yeah. Maybe once every two months. Have you shot any matches or any comps? No, I wanted to get into that. Okay. That's that's on my on my list of things to get into. Yeah. And I was like, okay, do I want to do IDPA? Don't no, I think I want to do long range. Okay. Yeah. Like yeah, PRS or yeah. even NRL, national uh, the hunting one. Yeah. That's more hunting driven NRL. Yeah. That's what I think I'm gonna try and I go hunting so tab into like, this year. That's my practical practice. Yeah, and that's what it is as a civilian. That's where it applies, right? Yeah. It's all the same skill set. Yeah, it's the same. You know, it's funny. It was like, I told my guys, I was like, you know, I missed I missed hunting season this year, but then I realized I didn't miss it. It just started earlier. Yeah, yeah. You went hunting, yeah. buddy. Yeah, I went <laughs> hunting. So, um, so yeah, just d- different. Like I said, I try to read stuff that's going to teach me something or refresh me on something or help me in my life. I, I, again, I try to avoid fiction, but those are, those are the three things that uh, I'm reading now. And then my wife will be like, you should read that book. And then I'll, yeah. I'll read that book. I can't bring myself in most instances to read fiction. Yeah. I feel like I'm wasting time. Yeah, exactly. That's, like, that's my issue. Like I'm just supposed yeah. to be entertained by this. Like yeah. I need to, I need to benefit from it yeah. somehow. It's gotta be some either knowledge mm-hmm. or I don't know. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Like- there was actually a book I just listened to. Uh, it was about the spies that worked for Israel before Israel was a country. So the book I think is called Spies with No Land or something like that. Oh, spies wow. with No Country. Uh, it was very interesting. Yeah. It was very interesting. It was about Middle Eastern Jews that were the first, what we call Mistaravim. They were like Arabs that could just blend in into Arab societies and gather intel and stuff like that. So it was a very interesting book on that. And again, I, li- I really like historical things. So you can always learn from history. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also just with the current events, it was like, let me let me refresh on my history a little bit. So. I think it's important. I think to just, if you're gonna be a professional soldier, know what the hell you're fighting. Yeah. Like what's the history behind it so that you can understand your enemy and try not to dehumanize them because there's, they are human. Yeah. And there's a motive in there that that is better if you can understand it. Yeah. And, and also I want to add to that, when you dehumanize, you also tend to underestimate. Uh-huh. <laughs> which is a big problem. So that's that's something that uh while I was there, I, I constantly try to remind myself, don't underestimate, don't do yeah. stupid shit. Because when you're watching any of the videos from the Hamas side, when they were successful is when the soldiers were underestimating. That's them. right. When they were uh, being complacent, being stupid, doing stupid stuff. So that's a very important yeah. note, man. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for coming in, man. Yeah, man. I loved it. It was awesome. Awesome. Good conversation. Stay zero. Yeah, stay zero.